Hello, Nathan here. A quick announcement before we get started. This March, we are going to do a live episode in Sydney. It's going to be huge. We're super excited. It's going to be Sunday the 19th of March, 1pm at the Petersham Bowling Club in Petersham. There's details up on our Facebook. We'll be talking a bit more about it over the next couple of episodes, but that's Sunday the 19th of March at the Petersham Bowling Club. Hope to see you there. We are Hottest 100s and Thousands. We have taken control of your radio station. And this is the podcast in which we talk about the songs that have been deemed hot enough to be in the Triple J Hottest 100. My name is David James Young, and I'm one of the four voices you're going to be hearing for the next hour or so. Joining me once again, it's Nathan Harrison. The band. And it's Andrew McDonald. And it's Adam Buncher. Bam. Oh, I got through it. Nice. Um, this is a weird one. We got a weird one today. We got two covers back to back. We got uh, two of our favorite bands of all time. Uh, and uh, we have a fucking weird entry from a uh, beloved Australian rock icon. Who could it possibly be? Let's find out. Spoiler alert. It's Midnight Oil. Uh, we are kicking off at number 75 with a song called Surf's Up Tonight. the wind blows When it blows over the sea Five in the 1996 Hottest 100. That is a song called Surf's Up Tonight. It's from an album called Breathe, uh, which I believe was their second to last, no, third last album uh, prior to Redneck Wonderland and Capricorna, which was mm. their final studio album before they split up in 2002. All right. Uh, well, this is our very first time talking about one of the most famous Australian bands of all time. A band vaguely considered a one-hit wonder outside of this sunburnt country of ours, uh, thanks to the roaring worldwide global success of Beds Are Burning. But uh, obviously, we all know the real story. Kind of like Gautier. Global superstar on the back of one massive single, but we all know the real story because we were fucking here. Yeah, we're here. We were with Wally. Potentially, the takeaway from that is that every one-hit wonder actually has a huge back catalogue of domestic success. Yes. We're hashtag, sorry, Space Hog not all one hit wonders. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess we can start by laying our cards out on the table regarding Midnight Oil. I've been listening to Midnight Oil almost as long as I can remember. They were one of the first bands that I was exposed to in terms of Australian rock music. Like, Living End was the first. I've talked about how that kind of lit my fire. And then... Uh, later came stuff like Screaming Jets and Grinspoon uh, and stuff around that era. Midnight Oil came up around that time, mostly because of local radio station Power FM constantly having their songs on a cycle. At least every, I'd say every week I'd be hearing one of their hits. Not just the massive stuff like Beds Are Burning and Power and the Passion and stuff like that. They'd also play stuff like Blue Sky Mine and Dream World. A bunch of just great, great, great songs all compiled together on an album called 20,000 Watt RSL, which is their first greatest hits compilation and was like a Bible to me. That and Songs from the South, the best of Paul Kelly, two mm. of the most iconic 
iconic uh, Australian best ofs, in my opinion. I'd throw Recurring Dream in with yeah, that. Yeah, great, great um, choice. Also, That's Crowded just, House, yeah? Yeah, just yep. three best ofs that, as an adolescent, you listen to and you're like, oh, shit, I know all these songs yeah, already. Yeah, 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 big time, big time, yeah, big right. time. So when 20,000 Watt RSL came out in 1997, that was one of my earliest memories of like discovering this music and their message, and it was pretty fucking special. I also got to meet Peter Garrett once when I was on assignment uh, doing news for UOW. Uh, This was when he was with the Labour Party and he was explaining the budget to a uh, bunch of people at a local school before talking to the primary school kids, uh, which was awesome because one of them asked how they can help look after the world, which was the cutest oh thing I've ever God. heard. Yeah, and nice. Peter Peter like looked him in the eye and like, you know, kind of explained like really simply and really sweetly, you know, how like good Labor Party is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, what corporate dude. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, he is one of the biggest men I've ever met. He's massive and his hands mm. were huge. And like everyone else is just like, yo, thank you, Mr. Garrett. Thank you, Mr. Garrett. And I just go, oh, 10 to 1 changed my life. Thank you. And just like, well, Nick Lornay is a great producer. I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my Midnight Oil story. Um, uh, now to my Surf's Up Tonight story. This is barely recognizable Midnight Oil as we are uh, pretty uh, well across. Like there is something about this record that is kind of a lot more subdued and like there's a lot less political agenda on there like it's about fucking surfing for fuck's sake you know like there's no deeper metaphor about the ocean getting <laughs> drained or anything <laughs> like that no it's just about the dog literally just <laughs> <Yeah>. about surfing <laughs> it's fine but I don't think it is a solid representation of wh- what Midnight Oil is to me and obviously to a lot of other people are there any people here that haven't really properly listened to, to Midnight Oil like like excluding the major hits and stuff like that like anyone that hasn't listened to a full midnight oil record or anything like that i mean i mean i'm a pretty casual fan i guess like mostly just the best of but i've listened to 10 to 1 and, and a couple of the other albums yeah, here or great, there great great record yeah, yeah great record it really is i'm familiar with them all they're one of those bands they're my parents favorite band i think mm. or at least one of the bands that they've seen yeah right a mate of my dad's was um, roommates with Rob Hurst for no years. Shit. So we have like all the Midnight Oil LPs signed by all the bands. Oh, like wow, that. that's so yeah, cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And we still have, like, still have those in like incredibly good condition, never played yeah, kind of nice, nice. But um, obviously a brilliant band. The fact that they have that one hit wonder status abroad kind of to a certain degree is still present here, I think, with people knowing everybody, if you know about music in Australia, you know of Midnight Oil. I reckon any self-respecting Australian music fan could name at least five Midnight Oil songs. Yeah, their image as, as being like Australian band, Midnight Oil, is kind of too big for a lot of people to realise that they actually have some like a huge amount of really brilliant records like in yeah, and, yeah, and sure, songs sure. like they kind of the image of the band is so big that it's just like oh they're Midnight Oil everyone knows Midnight Oil and you don't yeah. realise like don't just view them as Midnight Oil they wrote that Beds of Burning song they're a good band no 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 they're a really good band yeah. examine yeah, their yeah, records yeah. I know. they're a terrific act and I think they have a lot of excellent songs this <laughs> as you said obviously not one of them but this is like I hadn't heard this and this is like it's like as you said virtually unrecognisable but it, it, it kind of sounded like if they eschewed politics they could be a relaxing cool band like yeah, sure. not that they should do that obviously no one's telling them to do that <laughs> but like I really enjoyed this song like it sounded like being at the beach in the evening with your friends it, it sounds exactly how it is 100% like, I, yeah. my, my read of this song the song is trying to eschew and remove the sort of uh, sensational and extreme sports idea of surfing and return it to something that is just a kind of thing that you do, something that's a bit meditative, a solitary thing. It's not really dramatic. You just do it for yourself and maybe even like kind of a bit spiritual in that it's just you being in the ocean and having mm. a time. And I think there's kind of a... It's not a political thing in that, but that actually, to me, connects to a Midnight Oil ethos mm. of okay. what they want to say about people and the land. And I mm. think that actually works well. Like, I'm not a surfer, but I kind of connect to that. The vibe I get from this song is what I like about swimming laps, mm. in that it's just a thing yeah. that you do and there's a sort of pace to it that... I can get behind that. ...is just a very... It lets you be yourself. And, and I really, really like that about the song. I mean, it's not the most fierce rock song or anything like that, but it's it's got a really lovely vibe to it that is just yeah, that, I, that real laid back even the singing is so laid back which is why yeah it's kind of hard to recognize peter in there yeah, yeah. totally. But 
I didn't know Midnight Oil had this in their wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, yeah. It, was, it was really delightful to me who didn't know this song to well, just yeah. be like, oh, bloody hell, they actually... They've got this in them as well. That's really cool. This isn't like is, this is not yeah. this is not why anybody would turn to Midnight Oil, yeah, yeah, but yeah, like yeah, yeah, totally. cool. We've talked about some of the most famous bands in Australian rock history, but w- because we're talking about the '90s at the moment, we're talking about like uh, kind of like later period mm. versions of those bands. So Hoodoo Gurus, ACDC, and now Midnight Oil as well. Like we're talking about like mostly long forgotten records by each of those bands and long forgotten, mostly long forgotten songs from each of those bands as well. Because you just you, most of the time you just remember the band for their peak. You mm. know, you, you you forget the whole they did other things. You yeah, know, kind of. I think this definitely sounds like a band in the latter period of its life. Not in the sense that it's like lethargic or like uninteresting. Not that it's super fascinating either. But it sounds like a band that. Don't have anything to prove. Mm. They're just. This is a song that we're playing. It's about the beach, and it's really relaxing. And it's. It sounds like being at the beach at night time. Mm. And it, again, nobody will think of this song when I think of Midnight Oil, and they shouldn't. But it's very good <laughs> that they also have this song. Now, Adam, this is an interesting mm. one for me, like uh, talking to you, because we've kind of discussed in uh, previous episodes, uh, like when we talked about Holy Grail, for instance, about your feeling of being kind of an outsider as far as like a lot of quote-unquote Aussie rock is concerned. Yeah. And I guess it doesn't get much more Aussie rock than the oils, if you will. Like, that's when you know you're a truly iconic Australian band when you have your own nickname. Yeah. <laughs> so the the oils, the hunters, the grinners, Akadaka, the Akadaka. chair, Akadaka, etc., etc. Al Caesar, De Caesar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, we have varying relationships with, with Midnight Oil here. Like, uh, where does yours begin slash end? Like, is, is, is there one? Not really. No. Okay. Yeah. You mentioned if there's anyone here who's hasn't listened to a full Midnight Oils album, I haven't listened to a full Midnight Oils album. I am not a very good Australian music listener. I just haven't been. My interests have always steered me elsewhere. I feel like a lot of people inherited interest introductions and understandings of Australian music through their parents. Yeah. That's, I, I yeah, didn't. That's I missed Especially out on... people our age in particular. Yeah. Pe- pe- people, I guess millennials, like inherited that, the, like the boomer. Any music I kind of know, I've found myself. I, I didn't get anything from my family. I got a, an appreciation for classical because my dad played a lot of classical, but it's hard to kind of say that, you know, like, oh, I know of course. heaps of classical music because it's just, there's it's so much and mm. it's just, and it's, 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 it's so long music. form. Exactly. And it's just really hard to kind of pick up. Although every now and again, I will be, you know, in a film or in TV or whatever, hearing a classical piece and I'll be able to hum along because I just know it because mm. yeah, it's just sure. in that part of the, the reptile brain. It, 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 is like, it is like the erudite, like, oh, uh, well, I, I, I grew up with classical music, so I, I wouldn't know about rock music. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Except I'm really a bit, a bit kind of sad about that. No, I know. Yeah, you yeah, know yeah, like, yeah. Uh, although I do say like what I know, I know because I did it myself with, a, with some degree of pride. Yeah. How did you find this? Because you know, obviously, some in the Royal songs. Like, oh, you, yeah. You heard I, of course. Of yeah, course. You would have yeah. playlisted a fuckload of them over the years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, working on radio and working on commercial radio, especially, you know, there's always, a, as you were saying, Dave, there's always a slot yeah. in the hour where it's your, your, your 80s fucking, classic They're a beloved band, you know. Yeah. But I guess also that further adds to that feeling of alienation that I was kind of talking about or the idea of other or not connecting to Australian rock as a thing as much because I also never really thought that the people I was playing music for were like me either. Mm. And so that is just another thing that it kind of fit in with that thing. Is but you grew up like listening to like the Mars Volta and Rage Against the Machine and stuff like yeah. that. Like how did you develop like a personal connection with that? Like they're obviously in a completely different universe to you like i i can imagine even feeling mm. even more like an outsider listening to music from like mexican dudes like from el paso but i never saw any other mars volta fans and i never saw any other rage against the machine fans the music came first right whereas mm. often for the there's, there's a weight of the australian one. Oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and it's interesting because when we were talking about a little bit earlier about Midnight Oil and the, Australia's relationship to them, there was a very strong us and them thing kind of going on with this band. I was really interested to kind of interpret from reading their story because they gigged 
hugely. Oh, like, yeah. They were massive, especially in Sydney. That's what the shout-out is in The Greatest Hits, 20,000 yeah. Watt RSL. Yeah, exactly. There's some great quotes from Peter Garrett about what it's like to perform the Australian pub and RSL scene and just, you know, the, the slightly oh, yeah. tense relationship. Know, yeah, yeah the sure. tense relationship you have where, like, some people just want you to not be there because they're just trying to watch the footy or whatever and they've just <laughs> got no interest in hearing what you have to say. But um, uh, Just personal history here. I am yeah. um, quite sure that my old man was a bouncer for Midnight Oil at a few pubs. No nice. way. That's yeah. sick. Yeah, well, cool. They were, and they were passed over pretty much entirely by the mainstream media, um, but Triple J and Double J were behind them. So 2JJ, yeah. So you can kind of see how there was very much a an almost tribal thing um, developing around around this band and how there was a bit of antagonism there. I was super surprised to read some quotes from critics in the early days about Midnight Oils, one of which, which is just like mind-blowing, is from a guy called Bruce Elder who called them a kind of antipodean pub rock version of Queen, life-denying, sexist, secular and bigoted, endlessly touting of Australia and all things Australian, which is a wild reaction for essentially a band that just has a pride of place. Yeah, you look like a fool, Bruce. <laughs> yeah, um, but I just found that, that guy. I found that just like, like a wild quote, but it shows that that was something that was said at the time. So this song. So this song, right? I was able to come to it now, having no association with it, having not heard it. And the strange reaction that I and relationship that I have to Australian rock has kind of chilled as I've kind of gotten older, which I think makes a degree of sense because I feel like that music was written for people who are like of my age now anyway. So it makes sense that as I mature, that sound, which I think was always intended for that audience, as I come into that demographic, it's going to appeal to me more. And, and also yeah. the um, anxieties of self-identity that are so prevalent when you're a teenager and discovering mm. things like that, are, like they die down. Valid. Like, yeah. That's right. And it, I, I, I mean, there's nothing really that, that threatens me about it anymore. Like it's, a, I, can, I can take it or leave it, but there's nothing that I kind of, this isn't for me kind of weird reaction. Uh, that's not kind of, is, that's kind of there. But is, is take it or leave it how you hear this song? Like, no, I quite like it. It, to me, reminds me of the drones. Standing on the deck, I watch my stretch. Which mm. may be a bit weird, but even like the way that when Garrett's not going full Garrett, he's only part Garretting. He kind of sounds a bit like Gareth. Mm. Gareth. Peter Gareth. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's just, I mean, the Jones would never write this song. It's too chill. There There's was, not enough dread in it. There's yeah, yeah or sneer. Yeah, <laughs> like this is this is just nice. But I think like it's got, it does that super Australian thing. Whereas if you want to show pride or any kind of like Australian identity, you go back to nature straight away, mm. which is something I always pay. It's touted so much that it should be cliche, but it never is because honestly, the nature present in this country is so lit. Yeah, um, it's lit, fam. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. particularly yeah, just the, the <laughs> least Australian way of describing that. <laughs> Next time is a bushfire. Please say that. It's lit. Bushfire be lit, fam. Hundred, hundred. It's a love song of place, really. Yeah, um, in a, in a really kind of chilled out way. I love the stuff you said about like connection to surfing as a as a thing other than surf culture. I, yeah, I get down on it. It's a cool song. Yeah. yeah. I like nice. It. I like it. At number 74, this is Ministry with a cover of Lay, Lady, Lay by Bob Dylan.
Ministry making their debut in the Hottest 100 at number 74 in the 1996 Hottest 100 with a cover of Lay, Lady, Lay by Bob Dylan. <clears throat> Hi, uh, David James Young here, uh, freelance uh, writer, journalist, podcaster, man about town, inconsequential piece of shit. Uh, quick uh, question uh, from the back. The fuck? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyone anyone uh, want to take this? Uh, oh, yes, the floor recognizes Andrew McDonald's. When you said ministry making their debut, surely this is their only appearance in the last 100, right? I was honestly thinking Jesus built my hot rod would get it. That, that was earlier. Might have too already early. happened, yeah. Yeah, too early. This, um, oh, fuck, this might be it then. Yeah, there we this, go. This was from the album that came out after the album that Jesus Built My Hot Rod was on. Ah. Um, and that, pig filth. Yeah, filth pig. F- filth pig. Um, Sorry. And <laughs> the, <laughs> fucking casual. Um, and the, the, the previous album, Psalm 69, was kind of their breakthrough into the mainstream of, like, it was that, that period in the early 90s where industrial could sell records, like this and then 90s now as well. Revco to a certain degree. Cars that helped to begin with, I think Lay Lady Lay, obviously it's from that album where Bob was singing in his deep voice and not his nasal voice. And uh, Nashville Skyline? Yeah. That'll be the one. Nashville Skyline. And Skyline Nashville. And it's a weird, <laughs> like, oh, obviously Lay Lay, Lay is obviously oh, blonde like... blonde on blonde. Oh, sorry. Fuck, I got that mixed <laughs> up. It's blonde on blonde. <laughs> <laughs> like, Lay Lady Lay, it's a weird song, obviously, for a Bob Dylan song. It's one of those classic songs that when I first heard it, I didn't think it was Bob Dylan because it doesn't sound like a Bob Dylan song. <laughs> But like I've come to like it more and more as the thing has gone on. It's obviously become quite the standard, been covered a hilarious amount of times. Duran Duran covered it. Lay, lady, lay, lay across my big breast bed. Mm. Fantastic news. Um, <laughs> uh, um, and I think that like the tone I'm trying to convey here with my like, apathy but interest towards the original is kind of how I view this cover as well. Like oh, okay. I, I like it. But I'm harder on it because I quite like and I'm familiar with a lot of ministry. Yeah, I um, knew you were a ministry fan, yeah. so that's interesting. Like, I'm not a, a huge, minister. <laughs> like, I'm not, like, industrial is kind of something I only have passing interest and knowledge in, but like what I like, I really like. Yeah. So, like, like ministry, Revco, yeah. obviously like, the early, like, Twain Jazz Fun Greats, all that kind of classic um, coil, obviously. And like, A, industrial covers are super tricky at best, even though ministry have a covers album that like, came out some 20 years after this or whatever and slow industrial also super tricky (laughs) um and i think it's credit to al jurgensen the front man slash main dude of ministry that he manages to pull it off and this to be a very like honestly a pretty good song like it sounds pretty good to me like the chugging bass is so heavy it's fat it's the the fattest bass that we've had maybe in this countdown in history it's just insane (laughs) yeah including acoustic guitar nice touch homage to the original that's i agree with that cool decision it's nice yeah it's very nice um the when the chorus kicks in every time i'm surprised how big it is yeah it's massive it is it is too huge to exist that soaring heavy metal guitar yeah. It's just out of this world. And the lick over the top of it. Yeah, that. But yeah. also the way that the vocals are produced is so magnificent. That yeah. They're slightly distorted and laid back. They're yeah, just, they're, they're placed they're under, under yeah. which yeah. somehow makes them bigger because they're further away. It gives more of an... It's kind of like when you come off the mic to yell. Yeah. It's just... you. you it's I kind of... that thing that I that always That David do. does all the time. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> It exactly. is legit. <laughs> it is, yeah. Obviously, like in terms of him being a singer, it's difficult to know how much of it is him singing, how much of it is production. Yeah, I don't really mind. Like neither do I, because like the ministry vocal effects, the ministry vocal sound, whether that's our production or whatever, even though mm. he's the producer, so it's still ministry. Yeah, <laughs> his voice is so fierce. It's so yeah. there's so much anger in everything he does, and the fact that he can somehow make what is a very romantic song. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm. Lay across my big brass bed. It's a really humble, like the original Dylan one is a really humble romantic song. I mm. think it's really, it's like I've said, I've grown to find it quite lovely as I've grown up. And hearing him do this, like you, David, you're right, saying the fuck because like it's there's no way that you. Would I, ever I maintain think, my question. There's it's no, only sort of been answered. Yeah, there's no there's no way that you should do an industrial cover of a Bob Dylan song. Like, well, of course you shouldn't do that. And but, if you were going to, probably not this song. Yeah, by doing so, you do change that humble, nice romantic relationship you change the relationship it becomes something tortured and violent yeah you know what i mean it becomes an entirely different song uh, without changing the lyrics yeah which is pretty cool we were talking i mean we've talked before about covers and we've talked about how 
to us, almost unanimously, we agree that, you know, you can judge a cover as being successful when it manages to honor the original, but also stand as, on its own two feet as a song. I have to say that this song does that very well. I, I think me, so too. It's, it's, it's ticking both boxes. I think so too. But it's really interesting on that cover discussion when songs like this become, I guess, standard so that they become part of yeah, m- yeah. not that it's necessarily in the the, the so-called great american songbook though although it might be mm. like because it's dylan right like it's yeah it's, but it's, it's close a- it's very close to being like lay lay lay, lay parentheses traditional yeah it's almost like that right like it's mm. but i, I guess because it's like because it's bob fucking dylan no one's going to forget the original mm. but the, you the, don't need to know the original to get this at all no not at all no. you know what I mean which I think is also a sign of a good yeah. cover it's like there are some covers where you do where you yeah. listen to the cover and you're like I don't get it it's like oh have you heard the original yeah. and it's like it only makes sense in context yeah. of it being a cover whereas this is the kind of cover where it makes sense as a ministry track I yeah, imagine just, just, without just, hearing a lot of ministry I imagine this is pretty standard ministry fair but exemplary slower. of this yeah. sound yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. they don't have much variation yeah, yeah cool so you know, it stands alone as a ministry track as, a, as opposed to just a yeah. Dylan cover. I'm glad you liked it because I'm pretty sure I come into this, I was going to be up against the fence defending <laughs> this song. Oh, no. Because like I, 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 like I said, I'm a, like, I'm a bit of a ministry fan. Like I've got a bunch of their albums and yeah. I listen to them semi-regularly. They're a band I like. I'm sure that there are many Bob Dylan fans who think this is border, oh, borderline, <laughs> yeah. des- borderline desecration. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Um, David James Young raising his hands. Look, look, you look like you have something to say, do you? <laughs> do you? <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. I love Ministry. I'm a big fan of all of their hit. Oh, Christ, no. <laughs> and, that's, no. and that's not even Al singing on that one either. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I, I did not like this at all. <laughs> oh, God. I'm like, not surprised. <laughs> you no. like the Scorpion King soundtrack. You've talked about it multiple times in the past. That was private, God damn it. <laughs> it's on the podcast. Fuck. Well, we're the only ones that listen to this. <laughs> Yeah, as far as I can say, this is a private space. <laughs> These mics are just for posterity, so we can listen back. Adam is using alternate facts. <laughs> but I never said anything about how much I fucking love the Scorpion King soundtrack. Haku! Machete! Ministry blows. I'm not a fan of Ministry. I, I just find their whole aura creepy and... Generally <laughs> shitty. Or it's creepy. Oh, they just have that vibe about them. They're just mostly enjoyed by like goateed 4XL dudes wearing fucking, yeah, like Matrix coats. <laughs> That's fucking- really accurate. <laughs> <laughs> That have, uh, you know, like they've fucking shaved their head and they've got like a Bam Bam Bigelow fireball tattoo on their fucking head. I'm pretty sure I've met these people. Yeah. <laughs> With the Rammstein logo on the back, you know, just, yeah. you know, like dudes that are like really into fisting, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, that this is exactly, yeah, yeah, like I know these fisting people. fisting the unisex, he's got like one guy named Klaus and another fucking named Bertha or some shit just fucking going both to the tune of Do Half. <laughs> Generally, I'm not really into a lot of industrial stuff, and by means of contrast, I'm a huge Bob Dylan fan. Um, mm. Even up to and including fairly recent stuff, I like most of his records up to and including Tempest from 2012, which I really, really love. His last few like Sinatra covers records have fucking blown chunks, but that's another story for what? another time. <laughs> oh, I know, right? I really need to hear fucking Dylan wheezing his way through the <laughs> night we called it a day. Like, <laughs> I just like to think... He's sort of pitching to the label. He's like, I'm going to do a Sinatra covers album. And the label's like, I think there's probably a 5% chance it won't work. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take that gamble. In related news, Bob Dylan's putting out a triple album this year. So look forward to that, kids. Oh, look, I'm just disenfranchised people. But I I love this song. I love the original version. And like, I, I was just trying the best I could to get that Venn diagram together and, like, (laughs) figure out who the fuck this is for, but it's so, so minimal because I can't imagine any of these double-fisting goateed (laughs) champions cranking a bit of Highway 61 revisited, you know? like This is for the ministry fans. Obviously. The fact that it's a Bob Dylan song is inconsequential. And how this got in the hottest 100. I reckon this got some love on Triple J at the time. Yeah, but I I can't figure out why. I think Filth Pig was a pretty successful record. Yeah, yeah. Um, Commercially, if Mm. if not, like, critically. Which is so weird because this is not commercial music at all it's clunky and it's loud and it's brash and it's just like it's the tail end of industrial being a commercially viable genre i think yeah Mm. like 
I, I understand how Nine Inch Nails became commercially successful because they had, like, stuff to get it over. Like, you know, they had big hooks and, yeah. you know, they had, like... You oh, know, this is not that. Yeah, no, like, it's the antithesis of that. Yeah. So, like, I, yeah, I don't like ministry. I don't like when people fuck with Bob Dylan like this. Because he's a poor, fragile old man. I, I, I think <laughs> this is alone. Le- I think this is less insulting to Lady Lady Lay than when I saw Bob Dylan perform Lady Lady Lay in 2012. <laughs> See, I saw Ouch. I saw Dylan in 2015, or yeah, it was 2015 or 2014. And it was fucking sick. So, has everyone said something? No. Well, look, I, I think I think it's fine. I I am okay with ministry, whatever. I I do think I don't know between I, the kind of really atmospheric quality to the verses. I think there's still a melancholy and and heart of Dylan's original that helps fuel the song, and I think that's actually mm. pretty well crafted. But yeah, like I also 100. percent get not being into this. Oh, I get not being into it, yeah. of course. Yeah, it's not for everyone. No. But but I, but I do get into it. I get into it. Yeah, it's for some. <laughs> you thought that they were done? Well, my friend, you were sorely mistaken. At number 73, Hole are back in our lives with a cover of Fleetwood Mac's Gold Dust Woman. doing a cover which is a weird thing to have back to back it's it's not like that is a foreshadowing of anything to come <laughs> in trends in terms of triple j's Hottest 100 <laughs> that was a cover of gold dust woman which is the final song on rumors which is by a band called fleetwood mac who are one of my favorite bands of all time this is from one of my favorite albums of all time and it's being played by a little band you and i know as whole and we know them as that because that is their name Adam. Yes, that is my name. <laughs> yes, it's true. That's what people know me as. It's true. Or, mm. or Bunch. Or Bunch. Yeah. I have one question. Yeah. Courtney Love, did she make you cry? Did she make me break down? Mm. Um, no. No, because that, that, that implies that I'd be upset with this song, which I am not. For those counting as well, uh, this is the fifth cover that we have had pop into the countdown as a whole. Oh, not yeah, right. As a... <sighs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. But I, since- just love, I just love it when things cover my hole mm. So cool, we get to talk about another cover song I, yes, I think do. this is cool I think covers are interesting to talk about Sometimes they're more interesting to talk about than original songs in a way Because there's almost more there And I think this is one aspect of covers that I really got quite clearly Through listening to this song Is the idea of sometimes you can really explore what you are and are not as a band through covering a song. You know, there's probably someone out there who says, oh, you can really judge a band based on how they cover a song. And you know what? To some extent, I kind of pay that. So what we have here is something almost very similar to Ministry, which is a very folky-influenced original track. Wouldn't you make a cry? Done with a much, much harder, brash, loud style. The original version of the Fleetwood Mac song, which I went back and listened to, has a very, very unsettling tension throughout the whole thing, which I think is one of the best things about that particular track. We, we don't have that here, but instead you've just got this bigness, really. Like, it's one of those covers where, because it is a cover, 
you can go so much bigger. That's what I think is happening here. Yeah, you, yeah. you hear that with some other songs as well. It's kind of like doing someone else's song gives you an excuse sometimes to just go for a 10, to swing for the fences. And I think that's what Hole are doing here. The melody allows them to do that. The power of the song, the lyrics, it's all there to allow them to just get huge. And they get huge. Those big chugging riffs. Um, the harmonies are incredible. And I think like it's a it's a pretty cool rock song. Um, I do wonder how much of the decision for Hole to cover this was at all related or not related to Billy Corgan covering Landslide. And I saw my reflection in a snow-covered hill. Huh. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. I wonder. I mean, I hope. Yeah, I, hope I do as well. But not it's, much I, at all. Yeah. Look, I think like outside, obviously, Rumours is one of the greatest albums of all time. It's fantastic. And Fridge. everyone, like, it's just the best. But also, I think this is such a really insightful and clever choice for, for Hole and, and for Courtney Love. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of the content of the song. Yeah, well, and, I think the yeah. things that Stevie Nicks is exploring in Rumours in terms of her songwriting and at that point in Fleetwood Mac and like, you know, these tragic relationships, these ideas of self-destruction and witnessing things falling apart around you, that's the stuff that grunge is really good at expressing in music and vocals. Yeah, nice. Like also. stylistically, that's what grunge is great at doing. And also there's a great lineage from Stevie Nicks to Courtney Love. I think that's really traceable and important. Yeah, even just looking at Stevie Nicks' songs like Edge of Seventeen. There's clear links there in who they want to be as performers. And so I think this is an inspired choice uh, for a cover song. I think the music of this really, really fleshes out in a really rich way a lot of stuff that's in the original song. I love the original as well. The song itself, I prefer it when more of the elements come in. I think it's a little slow to start. The, Mm. you know, soft, heavy, soft, heavy. I just want to get there because then when it gets there, I think it's really good. It resolves itself so well by the end when the drums get kicking and it gets it. Yeah, it's just fantastic. Yeah. Those drums in the chorus, they they sound like everything falling apart. It's fantastic. Uh, The backing vocals are phenomenal. Yeah. And such a wonderful counterpoint to Courtney's. It's, Big time. It's great. It's so great. But yeah, I just really think it's an absolutely inspired choice of song to cover. Yeah, and totally the, the intention. The Crow soundtrack striking again. This is, this is from the second Crow soundtrack. Oh, oh really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's, right. That's what it was As in the, the soundtrack to the second Crow movie, yeah, yeah. not the Crow movie put out another soundtrack. No, it, did, it, it didn't do track. I've seen movies do that. that. Trainspotting did that. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Eight Mile did it too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, this is the soundtrack to the second Crow movie. Um, and that's what this was recorded for. But like, uh. um, so there's a lot to love. Um, <laughs> yeah, well. No, like, uh, like, the thing is like, it's whole in that period, like after Live Through This and before Celebrity Skin recording mm. a cover of a very good Fleetwood Mac song. And it sounds exactly as you'd expect, which is brilliant. Like it's yeah. a really, really well done cover. Like you said, the backing vocals, Melissa Oftemar is just fantastic with that. And obviously her bass playing is brilliant as well. Those backing woos kind of like ground it in the the beauty of the original song because mm-hmm. like it is a particularly beautiful Fleetwood Mac song and like Amen. this the fact that they can still bring an element of that tenderness to like a grunge track speaks to how well they did this at the time yeah this is a very very good cover of a very good song I'm stoked that I hadn't heard it and I'm stoked to have heard it yeah but the big question in this room is definitely what the biggest Fleetwood Mac fan. And probably yeah. the biggest Hole fan too. I'd, yeah, say, I'd say so. Yeah, you got a lot. You got a lot riding. There's a lot on of this. Dave bait in this. Shit. A lot riding on this. If, Dave. if you don't dig this, I'll be surprised. Well, prepare to be unsurprised. <laughs> <laughs> Pre- prepare to remain oh my God, in your current state. I forgot state. what the opposite <laughs> of surprised was. How bizarre! No <laughs> alarms and no surprises, please. I fucking love this. Yeah, right. I fucking love this. This is how you fucking do a cover ministry, if that is your real name. <laughs> Look, listen to this. Oh, no, I'm going to be shitting it's on a, the- It's a competition. You have two covers. I'm going to be shitting on those other. double fisting pieces of shit for a long time. If they didn't want to, if those two bands didn't want to be compared, they shouldn't have got in the countdown <laughs> yeah, next to each directly other. Directly next to one another. Brought this on themselves. Yeah. Strange Bedfellows, which is obviously something that ministry fans are into. <laughs> Getting whipped in the face oh. while. <laughs> oh, do it again, Hansel. Oh. It's not for everyone. It's for some. Some. But yeah, I love the fact that they took one of, of who is someone who is obviously one of Courtney's biggest influences and in Stevie Nicks, like one of the original fucking defiant, I don't give a fuck what you think I sound like rock females, and 
took it to that next level in terms of their own interpretation of what that song could be. There are elements of it, but like you could definitely sell this song as a separate entity to the cover. In a way, I think they complement one another. Yeah. Like, uh, if you kind of listen deeply enough and, like, figure out what each is going for. Like, there's definitely a tension on the whole version as well, but it's just in a different way. And there's a different payoff. I want to leave you with this image. It is literally the image of Stevie Nicks and Courtney Love hugging. They have this beautiful, beautiful moment together. So I'll put it up when uh, this goes up on the Facebook, but... Two iconic women of rock embracing and being like, I yeah. got you, fam. I just wanted to bring up this incredible quote from St- um, from Stevie Nicks about what the song is about when um, she was saying this to Courtney. And the quote um, is, you know what, Courtney? I don't really know what Gold Dust Woman is about. I know there was cocaine there and I fancied it as Gold Dust somehow. I'm going to have to go back to my journals and see if I can pull something out about Gold Dust Woman. Because I don't really know. It's weird that I'm not quite sure. It can't all be about cocaine. She's <laughs> wow. the best. Oh, it's and Fleetwood think, Mac in the 70s. I reckon it could. I, 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 I think, because I don't really know, it's weird that I'm not quite sure. It can't all be about cocaine. That's a, <laughs> that, that's a fucking message for life there. Yeah. Like, that's, that's a yeah. philosophy. At number 72, this is Friends of Ron with Punch in the Motherfucking Face. the fight. That's right on the number 72 in the 1996 Hottest 100, making their debut in the Hottest 100 with a song called Punch in the Face. We finally get to talk about Friends of Motherfucking Rom! Yes. This is like a tism moment. So, like, I'm gonna I'm gonna back off the mics for a little <laughs> bit once again, because this is this is a similar tism moment, and uh, I'm gonna let these two motherfuckers on my right sort this shit and tell us a little bit about. Frenzel. At go, least, Frenzel, go. Go, Frenzel, go. Okay, at least I, I think it's not quite as exclusive as Tism was, maybe. No, no but like so, it's pretty, like, you guys. Yeah. Uh, so one afternoon in 2003, uh, it was around the time of Andrew's birthday, we went to Westfield Warrawong to see the Fat Pizza movie. Fat and pe- also that... Uh, the, called, the, the movie called Fat Pizza. The <laughs> movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also that day, uh, Andrew picked up uh, the new Frenzel Rom album, Sans Susie, after having enjoyed listening to Bucket Bong on Triple J. Of those two pieces of media we consumed <laughs> that afternoon, one became foundational for our adolescence and still informs our opinions about things like comedy and satire and how you craft things. And the other is a great <laughs> album. No, it's, right. <laughs> it's, like, it's too easy to bait. Oh my god, Julie! In the following years, our group at school were often called the Frenzels. We literally just listened to Frenzel Rom and wow. talked about Frenzel Rom. There's, we played yeah. Hangman with Frenzel Rom titles at lunch. If there is a band that has been more intimately in my head for a longer period, I can't recall them. There's no. Which surely by definition means yeah. there hasn't. Yeah. We were dorks for Frenzel Rom on a massive level and still are so much love. They were my first band that I got into. Right. I had sort of dabbled in music. I had like a handful of CDs, but I'd never loved a band until friends are wrong. I'd never found things out about the band and researched their other stuff and, and everything that you do when you get into something. That was my first band friends are wrong. That's such an amazing, like, and unique being in high school experience as well. Yeah. For me, that was the Mars Volta. Yeah. And that was like one of the only bands that really like I was on message boards for, you yeah. know, like, yeah. and reading, reading up on, everything. On message boards, finding any skerrick of old that's information. It. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Like, I bought uh, from eBay like magazine clippings of Friends of Rom. Wow. Yeah. And it, it didn't seem like a weird decision to make. Of course, I'm spending money on that. It's something that it translates to a certain degree with modern media as well. But like, when, even when we're like poor high school kids the fact that i had the cds and the ones i didn't have you would burn me or i'll take kind of thing like that 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 simply wasn't enough of course i'm purchasing them myself as well like it's yeah 
Friends of Rom were the Beatles to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Friends of Rom are funny and clever. They are irreverent, but they're also socially engaged and political without being a quote-unquote political punk band. Yeah. Um, the song Racist is probably one of my favourite songs of songs. Um, they've been kicking around for over 25 years now. So at this point in the countdown, they've already been around for about five years. Last year, they did their 25th anniversary tour and it was super lovely. It was a voted uh, by request set and really lovely. I think there was a wonderful spread of songs and a lot of new stuff. Uh, I think Friends will have somehow avoided being becoming a legacy band, like mm. many of their 90s Australian punk contemporaries, like uh, Body Jar, stuff like that. Mm. And even though they skirted some real aria fame a few years from this point uh, with A Man's Not a Camel, which featured Never Had So Much Fun. Never, never had so much fun. And You Are Not My Friend. I think they've never become canonised in Australian music. I think a large part of that is because they have refused to, and I think that's an important part of who they are as a band, why I don't think they're a legacy band in any way. Where they are at this point early on in the career and how that relates to the band now. Jay is the only one in the band at this point that is still in the band, but the lineup now has been around for more than 13 years, so more than half the life of the band, so that is Friends or Rom. So this song, Punch in the Face, it's the first song uh, off their second album, Not So Tough Now. And I think especially when you're looking at the pop punk that's happening at this point, we've got Blink, we've talked about Offspring, we've talked about Green Day. Punch in the Face is fast. It's so fast. Mm. It's rough. It's self-deprecating to the point of like dismissal. Like it opens with middle class white boys. Mm. It's stupidly catchy from from middle class white boys right through to bam, 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 bam. It's just, it's catchy and awesomely short with a killer bass line. Really great, just crunchy, fast punk guitar. I love this song at lunchtimes in high school. I've loved this song wearing out Friends Are On Mix CDs in my first car. I've loved this song getting hurt in mosh pits. I hope I love this song forever. Yeah, the fact that- I like, know for a fact that you will. Yeah. Thanks, man. That opening bass hook is so goddamn chunky and just fantastic. All, all the elements of this are what 90s, like the third wave of so-called of punk rock should be. It is so- it, It's beautifully short. It's like a minute 45 or whatever. <laughs> fantastic. It's fast. It's angry. It, it never stops being fun, though. It feels equal parts like sloppy as anything, but actually super tight behind that all. Friends on drum lines are so fucking great and they're so tight. They're incredibly finely tuned, tight to the point of almost breaking snare sound that they have so often. And it's fantastic. The energy of this, the fact that it's so punk sounding and sloppy and that, and like the energy and the gusto they go into the song with hides the fact that it's super catchy and a great piece of pop rock songwriting. I don't know where to start with this song. Like, as much as I've said Nathan and mine's love for Friends is deep and formative, I think I can look at this with not a huge amount of artifice of nostalgia and see this is a, this is a brilliant piece of high-energy rock music. I have all the love in the world for this band and this song. Well, to support you on that, I have nowhere near... relationship (laughs) that you guys have to friends or rom and yet immediately when i turn it on i think well this is just a master class of songwriting brevity because it covers so much ground in that one minute 45 like you've got you go through all wordless verses that are referencing previous verses that we've already had but also like just as as you said like everything is these guys are amazing musicians punk is often associated with people who can barely play their instruments as kind of like an ideal i don't know how much of that yeah. is actually mm. true or is it, it, whether that's like a very first wave punk kind of thing but you know we've, we've moved past it now but like the harmonies are so so good and it's something that's always struck me whenever i've heard frenzel yeah is the harmonies are amazing the idea of the song is super fun as well yeah. like just punch in the face like there's such an australianness about Friends or Rom. Like, in a universe in which Australia was a country, there would yeah. need to have been a Friends of Rom. It's, it's you know, so... Like, that, the Australianness is one of those things I've said before, like, I've, I'm kind of with you, Adam, not to the sense of the um, alienation regarding Australian music, but I certainly feel more of a globalist as a person and, like, don't really feel... A, a connection to Australia because patriotism is a step away from nationalism. Um, but also, like, in, like I'm, I'm not a big guy who's, like got to big up Australian music. I'm really not that person, like yeah. partly to, I guess, my end, certainly something's detriment. But there's something about the intrinsic 
self-deprecating, funny Australianness of Friends Will Rom that gives me such fucking national pride. I really, yeah. really love that these guys are from the same place as me. Deej, you've been, you know... You, uh, like, you like Friends Will Rom, I'm sure. <laughs> you've uh, been wailed on and wailed on people in Friends Will Pits, I oh, assume. Oh, shit to the fuck, yeah. These guys are in my 10-timers club. Um, over the years... Um, same, and that's yeah. a rarity for this guy. <laughs> I know, yeah, right? yeah. I've probably seen him made 12, 13 times. Yeah, yeah. nice, nice. Me and my friends used to check this. It's like, all right, guys, it's time for the annual Frenzel show. Yeah. Like, yeah, Frenzel were one of my favorite Australian bands. I've been listening to them for approximately Ever. almost 15 years now. I had a particular connection with them through Jay and the Doctor's Breakfast Show on Triple J. I grew mm-hmm. up with that. They replaced uh, Adam Spencer and Will Anderson, who were my original Triple J Breakfast team growing up. Same. Um, when I saw the post about Matt and Alex leaving the show and like, like yep, people younger than me getting really emotional at first, I was just like, yeah, whatever and then I was just like I took the day off school so I could listen to the final Adam and Will oh. show I got up at 5.30 of the goddamn AM to fucking listen to the final ever episode I also remember that day because I met um, Adam Spencer a couple of years ago and it was just like, oh hi I'm, I'm Adam this is my daughter and then I realised that the, that daughter was the one that got announced as to the like huh. we're having a baby was the, what what he announced on the final ever episode of Adam and Will I'm just like oh my god you're an actual like living breathing <laughs> it wasn't just for radio I know no no like I imagine people felt the very same way when Nathan announced that he had a kid on this podcast nah, yeah absolutely yeah. when we when we eventually meet Jeff yeah yeah my name's Jeff oh there he is there. <laughs> He, he sounds just, like you just because he listens to you all the time. <laughs> he can only say his name. He's like a Pokemon. <laughs> Which is fitting, He really. was raised deliberately that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Parenting. Uh, this song rips. You make this, him fight yeah. other children. Fuck! <laughs> this song rips, naturally. It's, it's a full demonstration of the trashiness and beautiful... Uh, insanity that is a great, great friends or rom song. Oh yeah. gosh, I'm glad we all love this song. Yeah, there will be, there'll be, there'll be, be serious fighting words. <laughs> yeah. I'd be, I, I, I wouldn't be, be, I wouldn't be down on the floor. I'd be crawling out of here. Like, I'd be putting other people on the floor. Yeah. yeah, and I wonder how many people are only now just discovering this song because of its inclusion in the Richard Spencer meme. Ah, was, that was. Sick. I, it was a particularly. It, it was a good one. It was video. a good one. If yeah. somebody, oh, that's almost too good. I almost wish. I don't obviously wish I'm finding out it for the first time now. I would be a completely different person but <laughs> there's probably like a, maybe a 15 year old you that know would be great just torrented the fat pizza movie and pull, <laughs> pulled up a richard spencer meme great <laughs> the circle of life yeah sunrise yeah. sunset <laughs> all right let's lower the lights and get that mirror ball shining ladies and gentlemen at number 71 it's pulp with disco 2000 With the song Disco 2000 from the album Different Class, The Distant Future, The Year 2000. (laughs) Andrew McDonald, 
you have the floor. <laughs> Andrew, you were the first girl at school to get breasts, Andrew. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, Not a chance, no. mate. Uh, like uh, we spoke about Pulp last year, um, I s- mentioned my deep love for this record in particular. Um, and like so many like world-class and renowned great songwriters, of which I include Jarvis Cocker, um, a bunch of them have like just like a handful of songwriting wheelhouses or like schools of composition. Last year when we were all agreeing that Common People was a brilliant piece of music. Um, I said I really liked the way that he wrote from the informed working class. That's a recurring theme in his music and that's one thing that he writes from. A few weeks ago we had um, the like cliche, lecherous, failed sexual bravado of the controls of the heart of the pelvis, which while not a pulp song, he certainly... That's a, that's a songwriting style that he does, that kind of vocal performance and that kind of songwriting thing. But this tune is something else that he does from time to time as well, and it's that the, the, the wonder of youth and the nostalgia that comes along with looking back on your time as a young lad, in his case. Yeah. And as much as I've, all, I've always seen... I guess the, the press had to do with this as well in the 90s, but um, Cocker was always like the oldest writer of the, the original Britpop movement. Like, he was a bit of a legacy man by that point. Already had a few albums out. Not so much success, but like he was an older man than your Blurs and your OSI. Um, <laughs> and I think that um, part of being older is having the luxury of reveling in the memories of youth. That isn't something that the youth get. If you, if you are young, you can't wax lyrical about the pleasures and pratfalls of being young. That's a privilege that comes with age. And I think Cocker has earned that privilege. And it's in full display here. I... If you can't tell, I'm a big fan of this song. This is a really, really beautiful pop rock tune. Disco 2000 is accurate because that's like the least cool disco beat in the world. Oh, my God. It's like love is in the air. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Partly because Jarvis is such an impossibly cool man. Everything he touches Uh, uh, turns into... I think you'll find it's Jarv. Jarv. He's such an impossibly cool guy that everything he touches becomes cooler by association. And here he's just making disco cool. But like the lyrics are so amazingly true to form that that middle class white male youth experience he does it so fucking wonderfully here like the band are in great form and in great display as much as they don't get to stretch their arms as much as they do at the end of common people they all work so fantastically here i always love the way that pulp incorporates keyboards and like i guess in like a bowie-esque way into pop rock music and they do it really well here as well as much as the band all work together here when i think about this song i think about the lyrics and i think about how innocent jarvis is making this 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 crush that he had as a kid who was a bit out of his league and just someone he remembers really fondly and like the idea of 2000 being off in the distant future but like a really remarkable thing to think about when you're a young person in the 80s or 70s when he grew up yeah lovely stuff like that I think about it all the time the fact that it is about a real person Deborah Bone like it actually is a Deborah like I think Mm. it's absolutely delightful just a friend of his who later went on to be an award-winning mental practitioner. And yeah. Jarvis sang this for her at her 50th birthday in 2013, which unfortunately uh, she passed the year afterwards, which is a bit of a tragic end, obviously, oh, to die so shame. young. She also received a, an MBE no hey. kidding. for her uh, services to children and young people. Uh, she received it just hours after she passed away as well, which is just oh, even more God, tragic. Because I know it was late in the year. That yeah. It, yeah that she, set up, she set up a series of innovative services for young people and children suffering from anxiety and stress. Yeah, love, obviously an, uh, yeah. just an incredible person. Just and, class act. Um, the fact that this is a beautiful song, and for, I'm sure she would have had a good laugh about that, about her old friend who happened to become one of the biggest rock stars of the 90s, having mm. to write this song about her. That would be mm. quite funny to her, I assume. It was on uh, her um, it was on her website or something. Yeah, it right. Was, it was included in that. It's like... Um, the so the did, like, subject of... Some, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Someone had to be Jarvis Cocker's crush or something like yeah, that. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah. I, I, this song, I like. it's, it's very different to common people, for like, obviously, yeah. but like, I, that, that speaks to the absolute powerhouse of hits that the different class record is the pop can do this as well so goddamn well is fantastic this is one of my absolute favorite this is one of everybody's favorite pop songs um it's a terrific a-grade tune just a question that i have in regards to this that i would love to get some opinions on but do you think it's a bit hectic writing this about a real person and being so open about it and then (laughs) having that person named yeah, yeah, I, it's, I, it's 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 like I, it's pretty, I, I it's pretty hectic, a lot, right? Because I I know people that do 
what I call single entendre songwriting. Whereas I'll have something happen to me and it'll be like, the moon hides behind the trees in the mystic valley or some bullshit metaphor. Whereas other friends of mine will just be like, and then Dave came in and he was a shithead. It's like subtweeting, but as songs. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's like, um, this is not an emotional song. Like it's emotional in the sense that's nostalgic, but it's not Mm. emotional in the sense that like when Fiona Apple names her ex-partner by name. Yeah, in the um, song Jonathan. In Jonathan. There is something hectic about it, but like it gives something more bravado and more weight. And I think that, like, I'm not sure if this actually happened, but I'm pretty sure that Jarvis, who remained friends with Deborah for her whole life, I'm sure he would have mentioned it to her. You'd hope so. Yeah. And, and potentially... And it sounds like she was cool with it. Yeah. And he would have checked before sort of saying who exactly that was. Oh, I'm sure it was years before. Yeah. So for a long time, pre-internet, it just would have been like, your name was Deborah, it never suited you. It's like, oh, he rhymes Deborah with suited yeah, yeah. I guess there. I wonder about the other people in her life, though, like, especially her, her husband. husband. Yeah, I, yeah, I do because, think that, eh? Because yeah. how much is just kind of like, once someone finds out, he just becomes the other guy. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, to a degree, but yeah, I'm sure for, for pulp like, fans. Yeah. Well, it's like um that the video for um Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Henry Lee, PJ Harvey, and like mm. they're very, very amorously like stroking one another's faces. Oh like, yeah, it's basically being, soft porn. It's very soft porny, <laughs> and that was when they were a couple, and they were not a couple after that. But that video still exists. <laughs> like Susie has to see that video, like Nick's wife. Like that exists as a thing, right? It's always these incorporating yeah. love and affection into songwriting nobody wants to assume that a relationship is temporary when you're in the relationship so you invest with gusto with that and if you're a creator of content or art um the good version of content (laughs) 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 i have a friend who um is uh in a relationship with another friend and um, yeah my my mate (laughs) um and then he's a songwriter and he wrote like a really gut-wrenching breakup song and i just hadn't spoken to them for a while so i was like holy shit are they but no it was written it a long time ago but yeah yeah. it's like weird it's like any it's like any i guess not that this song is necessarily a love song but any of the great love songs presumably weren't written in vacuums about the idea of a person they're often written about people or if you're in love then you're like you know what i mean i'm writing like that i know what being in love feels like i happen to have a wife who i love i'm gonna write a love song blah blah blah. but like like not everybody gets to be robert smith and meet your wife when you're 15 years old and be with that person forever so all of his love songs are definitely about mary (laughs) apart from that one where he sings about how he had an affair that's heaps fun (laughs) um but like most other songwriters particularly like this this comes with the territory of being a pop star i guess but like they have multiple partners over the course of their life and if they wrote a song when they were 20 and then if they're in their 40s still playing that song live like there's there is something it's like any love song i think the, the naming her gives it a bit more weight. Yeah. The thing with this one is that it's a love song of sorts, but at the same time, it's unrequited love. It's a crush it ma- song. Yeah, 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 because he doesn't even bring it up. Like, and oh my God, like, I'm not much of a Tumblr literally me person, but fuck, <laughs> I read some of these lyrics, man. Like, <laughs> the boys all loved you, but I was a mess. I'm like, literally me. <laughs> we were friends, but that was as far as it went. I used to walk you home sometimes, but it meant... Oh, it meant nothing to you because you were so popular. Literally! (laughs) I have been there umpteen fuckity times. Probably still into my fucking 20s. Hey, like some shit just never fucking changes. I think that's why the song is so so successful though, right? Yeah, yeah. You know. Even though it's such a specific situation, (laughs) people are still able to connect with that because they've had that happen to them personally. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like, I mean, this is probably, yeah, like the second pop song I loved. Yeah. You know, probably the same for most people or whatever. (laughs) It's great. I I find as I come back to it now... I want to like it more than I do. I don't know. Like, I I'm ca- kind of the Wait, same what? way. What? 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 Is it, do you both find it a bit like lecherousy? Or? No, no, no. I just find I, it a bit like... I listen to it. I'm like, yeah, this is great. I try and actively listen to it and find things to really, you know, tease apart and love. And I come up wanting. Yeah, right. Um, hmm, and I don't know. It's, it's, it's frustrating. Like, it, yeah, it's not a bad song by any means. Yeah. I enjoy the song. 
I would never be sad about it being put on or whatever, but yeah. I can't find everything that I want to find in the song. I'm not sure what it is. I have love, but I doubt. Ooh. It's it's this weird kind of thing with what? this song. It's like I I don't trust that I like it. <laughs> you know what? It, it's a weird thing. It's just like I don't know how much of it is me just kind of going like, yeah, it's pulp, pulp are cool. The song is by pulp. You like songs by pulp. Common People was a song by pulp. You like Common People. <laughs> oh, sure <what? laughs> you should like this. Therefore, you just do the math. And that's just kind of where I sit with it. I haven't resolved that question. Maybe I never will because there are songs like that that mm. I just I mm. just have. I just don't know how much I like it. I don't know how much I like this. I, think I that- suspect I like it. Yeah, yeah. But it's only a suspicion at this point. I think the best thing about it is that they uh, Jarvis removed the synchronization license so that people couldn't use it for 99, 2000, like, millennium stuff. Truly that Andrew is... Bate. So fucking Andrew Bate. It's like, so we, Andrew we could Bate. make a lot of money out of this or we could be badasses and not make money out of it. Yeah, because... It's been used in commercials, obviously. It's a, it's a commercial rock song. Yeah. But, like, the fact that at the peak of them making money out of it, they're like, no. <laughs> Where, like, this is also post-Pulp being, like, the biggest band ever. This was, like, after, like... This was just after This Is Hardcore came out, which was critically but not hugely commercially successful a few years before their last album. They're like on their last legs as a band. They could make a bit of money out of this. Yeah. Nah, best nah. not to though. Don't want to be that band. Yeah. <laughs> that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Hottest 100s and Thousands. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks to FBI Radio for having us. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Send us a message uh, at hottest100s100s on Twitter. Or if you have something long form that you would like to get off your chest, come at me, bro. Uh, You can do that at hottest100sandthousands at gmail.com. Before we get out of here, we're going to pick our favourites and our least favourites. And we're going to start... With Adam. Uh, my favourite is Frenzel. I'm joining, hey, I'm yeah, joining nice. the team. Nice. Hey, guys. List is really tough because there wasn't anything that I outright disliked in this five. <laughs> I wonder what some... David's least favourite song <laughs> yeah, yeah, was. Yeah. <laughs> You'll never know. <laughs> um, so, like, I have to pick what is, you know, like the fifth best. <sighs> like, it, it feels too harsh to say pulp. Um, Whoa! So I'm not going to. So I'm probably you can. just gonna. But because <laughs> I'm not going to start a fight. No, but because of that, I'm probably going to give it to Ministry only as as a as a kind of fifth best. Yeah. My um favorite was Pulp, and my least favorite again. This was a top. This was a really tough five. This is yeah, four, five right. brilliant songs. Great songs. Um, my fifth favorite would probably be Whole. All right. Favorite friends will uh, least favorite minute. Well, fifth. Fifth favorite, Ministry. My favorite, Goldust Woman. My least favorite, Lay, Lady, Lay. Suck it. Actually, don't do that. God, I know you guys are fucking weird. Start going after my fucking big toe, you fucking creeps. (laughs) (laughs) On behalf of Nathan Harrison. Bye. Andrew McDonald. Good night. And Adam Poncher. Farewell. My name's David James Young. Keep music evil. Bam, 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 bam. Not for everyone, it's for some. It's for some.